Joining us for the news briefing here in the studio is Seo m i s o r a n g Good morning. Good morning, Henry. Well, we will begin with the COVID-19 update. Uh, yesterday, we were talking about how promising the numbers were mm-hmm. because they dipped below 300. But we right. offered the usual caveats that uh, those were reflective of the Sunday numbers and where tests were uh, a little bit uh, fewer mm-hmm. than typically during the midweek. So uh, yesterday's numbers coming out would have been a bellwether to actually see if the trends were moving in a positive direction. And we can tangibly say that the numbers were promising, um, at least if you take into account the additional tests that were probably taken on Monday. Monday, So uh, what were the latest numbers? Right, so we are back to the 300s, but only just Mm. because the KDCA confirmed 303 more COVID-19 cases yesterday, including 273 local infections. So this raises the country's total caseload to 81,487. There were eight additional fatalities, raising the death toll to 1,482. South Korea has so far identified 80 cases of COVID-19 variants, which are known to be much more contagious. Of them, 26 cases, including four locally transmitted cases, were confirmed throughout Monday and announced yesterday. By countries of origin, 64 cases were variants from Britain, 10 from South Africa and 6 from Brazil. We probably um, will have to have a sort of, again, cautionary approach to this because the numbers look good. Yesterday, there were some reports of cluster infections, Mm. uh, over 50, I believe, in this uh, Putan. Again, once again, a religious uh, center Mm -hmm. uh, where people had uh, been gathering. And so the the, the numbers will certainly fluctuate, but it it is good to see that we are now hovering in this plateau of around 300 or so, uh, getting this down to a reasonable level, hopefully right before the Lunar New Year's holidays, where Mm. we're all going to brace ourselves for potentially uh, more infections, despite the calls, again, uh, for people not to uh, travel uh, during Seollal. But um, uh, ahead of all of that, certainly people will be looking out for a... um, a rollout of the vaccination programs, uh, first to the uh, medical frontline workers, as well as uh, elderly in nursing homes and other more vulnerable uh, members of the population. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- there is now a tangible start date, ac- according to the KDCA, for the vaccination programs. Right. So the start date is February 26th. And this is the first time that the agency has actually given out a specific date. The KDCA said yesterday that once the AstraZeneca vaccine gets the green light, the first batch of it will be distributed to hospitals and other medical facilities within Korea on the 25th, and inoculations will begin the following day, on Friday the 26th. Now, the first batch of the two-shot vaccine will amount to one and a half million doses, meaning that it is enough for 750,000 people. As you mentioned, Henry, medical workers and the elderly in nursing homes will be among the first group to get the vaccine. And with this start date, health authorities are hoping to achieve herd immunity by November. And that's assuming everything logistically works out, right? Uh, All the vaccines are uh, procured in terms of supply. Mm -hmm. They have all the um, vaccination centers uh, effectively set up. People, of course, also taking the initiative to go out and get Mm -hmm. the vaccinations. And you don't have these hookups like we saw during the flu vaccination programs where perhaps there was something issue with the storage and and it caused a little bit of a blip Mm -hmm. rate, which would delay. Briefly, just to get your thoughts, Mm -hmm. um, because I'm assuming you all uh, have read up on it and you have your own um, analysis on this. Uh, What do you make of the the, the kind of furor and intense media coverage here in Korea over 
the supposed ineffectiveness of the AstraZeneca vaccine and all the calls about how it is in comparison to Moderna or Pfizer or when you talk about the 90-plus percentage rate effectiveness and how this has been deemed now to be in the 60s with mm-hmm. new studies, especially um, uh, questionable effects against the, the, the variant or the mutant strain of right, the COVID-19 right. virus. I think for the three major vaccines that were initially um, considered, so Moderna, AstraZeneca, and the Pfizer vaccines, and including Johnson & Johnson as well, questionable um, efficacy against the new variants because the variants didn't exist during the big yeah. phase uh, two and three trials. Um, as for AstraZeneca's relative inefficacy, I think that is something that we do have to take into account. But if it is the first that we receive, it does make absolute perfect scientific and medical mm. sense to get those out and get those shots um, inoculated, yeah. even if technically they do show a lower success rate. Yeah, and so it, it just happens to be the first batch of supplies. Other countries have had the Moderna first or mm-hmm. Pfizer and so first, what yeah. have you. And so people are kind of pointing out, well, what's wrong with the government for getting the AstraZeneca one? Why did they, they pick up the dud to, to mm. be the first ones to be rolled out? My only concern here, and I wonder if you also see that concern, is that we in Korea are famously or infamously very much uh, used to, uh, accustomed to a level of AS or service, right? Uh, we, we, right? <laughs> we, we, service, we kind yeah. Of, yeah, we have our demands as mm-hmm. consumers of products. Yeah. There is going to be a big kind of, and I already hear it, that people are just saying, I want to be able to choose. I want to be able to get uh, the Pfizer. I want to be able to get the Moderna one because I read right. in the reports that AstraZeneca is not, you know, is only, you know, so, le- a few percentages less effective. Right. That's not how vaccines work, though, right? That's not, you don't go to your seasonal flu shot guy and you probably never even bothered to even think about that. But you don't mm-hmm. go, I want to get such and such pharmaceutical company's vaccine. I don't want to get this one. Unless you are paying for it 100% out of your okay. pocket, which is okay. not the case in right. this situation. Which, right. uh, which is almost always never the case during a pandemic. Yeah. And so, again, this is going to be universally free mm-hmm. for everybody who chooses to get the vaccine. And the hope is that everyone does so. But it's really more, I think, hard to get into the mindset of it. This is not, of course, it is for your own individual health and safety to get the vaccine and be inoculated. But really, you've got to look it into the aggregate picture of 50 million population, how much percentage of us get the vaccine, all of them deemed to be through phase three trials, mm-hmm. um, successful enough to be rolled out to the general public. And if we all do our small part in getting the vaccinations, regardless of which one you get, we achieve that important 60% herd immunity, and we can get back to normal, which of course then benefits everybody, right? Right. And you know how corporations, they talk about, it's not related to health, but uh, more the environment and conserving it. But a lot of, um, corp- in the business world, you talk about CSR, so corporate social responsibility. But I think in this case, it's ISR, yeah, yeah. Yeah, individual social responsibility. Uh, if you are fit and eligible to get the vaccine, I think it makes perfect social responsibility to go and get yeah, it done. Very good advice indeed. Moving on to uh, a uh, controversy here with the former Environment Minister Kim m u n y o u n g now um, officially becoming the first uh, member of the Moon Jae-in administration to receive a prison term, uh, getting a 2.5-year prison sentence for abuse of power. That's right. So this whole central district court sentenced the former environment minister to 2.5 years behind bars. Kim, she has been indicted on charges of interfering in personnel changes, creating a so-called blacklist of 24 public servants based on their political inclinations, and then using this list to force 15 chiefs of ministry affiliated with uh, affiliated organizations to resign 
if they were not supportive of the incumbent Moon Jae-in administration. And as a direct result, 13 of them resigned due to pressure. So that was the court ruling. Um, the assumption is uh, the reaction to this from the political parties largely fell on um, pretty predict- predictable lines, right? That's right. So ruling Democratic Party spokesperson Shin Young-de called the court ruling regrettable and accused the prosecution of practicing, quote, selective indictment. He said the party will wait and watch the remaining trial procedures. In contrast, main opposition People Power Party spokesperson Kim Eun-hae, she said that the verdict contradicts the Moon administration's pledge that there will be no surveillance of civilians or blacklisting of officials during its term. The spokesperson said that what she called, quote, fear administration has been in place since the launch of the current government and that it will reap what it sowed. Right. And so there is this... um Certainly a um, big temptation for the opposition to really kind of point and say, you guys have been, you know, in glass houses and throwing stones at us mm. for all the blacklists with infamously uh, the, the cultural blacklists where a lot of uh, even prominent celebrities were uh, somewhat kind of not given opportunities because of speaking out, especially yeah. after this Hello Fairy tragedy mm-hmm. and, yeah. and what was deemed to be a government cover up at the time. Uh, the, the ruling party side, first of all, will say they they question the, um, the, the soundness of this uh, judge's decision. Mm-hmm. But secondly, they're going to say that the situation is different. This is more really the, um, the, the tradition we have in Korean politics, as well as any organizational structure. When there's a new management that comes yeah. in, there's a tendency to kind of want to sweep everybody right. away. And it's not really about targeting somebody for political revenge. It's just, mm-hmm. I want to see my guy yeah. in, in, in this position. And I feel comfortable doing that because I have my own agenda to do. Even here in a program, if, if a producer changes shows, they often want to bring in their <laughs> right, entire sure. staff and change all the... You, mm-hmm. know, you know what I'm saying? It's just yeah. a real... It's, it's a, just a reality. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think um, one key difference between this Hewol-related uh, blacklist and this one is that during this Hewol disaster, the Yonin or the people in broadcasting, there were not politicians. No. So there weren't public officials, public servants, and their political inclination, it had nothing to do with their livelihoods. Yeah. But in this case, it is obviously right. different. This was more civil servants. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys were appointed under the Pakun administration. We have a new administration. Uh, we'd like to get our guys in. So um, could you guys consider early retirement? Those that didn't, I guess, had faced uh, some more undue pressure and mm-hmm. the judge's ruling that that uh, it re- veered into the territory of abuse of power. And that is uh, why that uh, uh, sentence took place. They are, they are going to be, um, they are going to be uh, appealing this uh, all sure. the way up to the appeals court and then ultimately to the uh, Supreme Court if necessary. But um, one bit of good news for the ruling party supporters is mm-hmm. that uh, there was another court ruling which actually rejected an arrest warrant for the uh, former energy minister over the uh, Walsung reactor shutdown controversy. Right, so the Daejeon District Court yesterday, they denied the prosecution's request for an arrest warrant on former Minister of Trade, and, uh, Trade Industry and Energy, Peg Eun-gyu, on charges of abuse of power and obstruction of business. The court cited lack of reason and the lack of need to arrest Peg, and that it needs to guarantee his right to defend himself without being detained, as there's slim chance that Peg would destroy evidence. The former minister has been under probe over allegations that he abused his power in the viability assessment of Walsong-1, which was then Korea's second oldest nuclear reactor. Based on the viability assessment, the government decided to shut the reactor in December of 2019, three years before its original mandate. 
The Board of Audit and Inspection announced last October that this decision to shut down the reactor, it was due to a faulty assessment that deliberately underestimated the economic advantage of keeping the reactor going. Former Minister Pegungyu is also suspected of having ordered three ministry workers to delete 530 government files in order to obstruct the board's audit. But Peg has testified that he knew nothing of the matter. And again, if you hear um, what the uh, pundits on the ruling party side are saying is that this seemed to be an attempt by the prosecution similarly along the lines of the Ulsan mayoral race where there was this accusation that the incumbent mayor was unfairly um, being investigated on uh, to allow the ruling party guy to win the local elections at that time, who mm-hmm. happened to be a, a close friend of um, the current president. And then they tried to link a lot of the uh, allegations there all the way up to the top to the Blue House. And mm-hmm. it, it seemed like this case was also going on a similar path with they were trying to get all the way up the chain of command to see who actually ordered this, uh, what they allege to be illegal shutdown of the Wosong mm-hmm. nuclear power plant and maybe up to the Blue House. This does put a huge wrinkle on it because if, if they are deeming that there's not enough evidence to um, procure the uh, detainment of the, uh, the former minister, it, it doesn't really seem necessary or possible for the prosecution to go forward. But mm-hmm. they're going to have them make a decision on um, how they're going to appeal this case. Uh, and uh, it does look like they, they might be leaning towards trying to appeal it to, to further pursue. That being said, because it does segue into the next story here, a lot of people on the ruling party side and, and supporters of the uh, Democratic Party and reform feel that the uh, prosecution is um, going, um, stepping over its bounds, maybe being a little selective in the way they pursue these cases. Mm -hmm. And they feel that a lot of that is being aided and abetted by the media. Their their contacts, Uh their reporters who kind of report out these salacious details, kind of rouse up the public anger and do that. So now there is some tangible movement in terms of legislation being put forth to try to reform both entities. Right. So the Mm. first is the media reform. Mm. Uh, The DP is planning to revise a law within this uh, February National Assembly session that will effectively force media outlets to pay punitive damages for publishing fake news. Now, the scale or the scope of the punitive measures is currently being discussed at 300%. So newspapers, TV broadcasters, portal site operators, and one-person media outlets, such as YouTubers, they will all be subject to pay up to three times the damages caused by their fake news to the victims. Critics, however, are worried that the DP's plan may be an attempt to tame the media and one that goes against democratic values of freedom of expression. Right. So the the, the optics would be, oh, the Democratic Party doesn't like the reporting that's been done on On them them. Mm -hmm. in recent months. And so they're trying to muzzle uh, reporters who are standing up for freedom and, you know, integrity and all that. But the other side of the argument is that there's this race to get clicks and, and try to get your headlines onto the top yeah. of the portal sites. And so they get more and more salacious and aggressive. Yeah. And sometimes they Mm-mm. miss a lot of steps. And um, one of the lawmakers who has been on the forefront of pushing this forward, uh, Jong Chung-nay, I heard in an interview uh, a day or so ago, uh, basically said if he talks to his uh, fellow Kuminehim PPP conservative mm-hmm. lawmakers, mm-hmm. they are off the record actually supportive of this because they have been victimized uh, by sure. this kind of salacious mm-hmm. type of reporting as well. Yeah. It's just they're not going to be able to say it publicly, but what they're saying is there mm-hmm. needs to be some accountability or responsibility from reporters to just kind of say whatever they want right. and then not face any consequences for false reporting. Right. In Korean, there is a term 아니면 말고, uh, which uh-huh. means, you know, yeah, we say whatever we, we want right. and then if you're corrected, if you're 
no, that is not the fact, then, oh, okay. Yeah, I was we already wrong. got the clicks. We yeah. already got the ad revenue mm-hmm. from all of that. So, you know, oh, well. <laughs> Even from a non-political point, just as a consumer of yeah. these news, yeah. I would much prefer there to right. be some responsibility right. measures. And so you place. do see a plurality of people, I think, feeling that this might be a, 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 something that makes sense. But going on the other leg of this, the DP is also speeding up efforts to further weaken the prosecution's mm-hmm. power. So 14 lawmakers from the ruling DP and the Open Democratic Party have proposed a bill to create a new agency, tentatively called the Serious Criminal Investigation Agency. This agency would investigate six major categories of crime related to corruption, the economy, public officials, elections, defense projects and major disasters that are currently being investigated by the prosecution. Now, the significance of this new agency is that if it is established, the prosecution will effectively only have the right to prosecute the suspects, but no right to directly investigate them, since the National Police Agency is responsible for investigating general crimes, and the newly formed CIO is responsible for corruption cases involving high-ranking officials. Right. So tabling these bills for the February session, there have been, and, and again, going back to what uh, um, Chung c h u n g n e was saying, who I believe re- represents uh, this uh, actual district mm-hmm. here, this constituency here where TBS is located, that even among ruling party lawmakers, there's been a hesitancy to put these bills out, especially the media aspect of the, the media reform bill, because they don't want... right before the by-elections to get the media all offended and sad and, and angry and that have all this negative press coverage kind of being poured upon them, mm-hmm. um, which might sway votes. So there's been that kind of aspect of being, being shy or hesitant. But uh, I think the idea is that if we stand for reform, we've got to do it regardless of what kind of political consequences it takes. And it looks like uh, they've convinced enough people on the ruling party side to actually uh, put the bill uh, forward. Okay, Uh, we're going to move on to now. Now, we talked about allegations of surveillance and um, um, blacklisting in the Moon administration, but there is now new information suggesting that the previous Lee Myung-bak administration actually had done this, the surveillance aspect on lawmakers in a very, very big scale. Big scale indeed. A key official within the National Assembly's Intelligence Committee told newspaper Hangugilbo yesterday that back in 2009, a special team within the National Intelligence Service was established under the order of the Blue House Senior Presidential Secretary. So according to this person, the team was in operation for at least four years and had created a document containing the personal information and surveillance details, mostly unrelated to parliamentary activities, uh, that covered all 299 members of the 18th National Assembly. Now, regarding the existence of this document, the National Intelligence Service didn't outrightly deny it and merely said that it hasn't been able to check the full content of this document since it doesn't have the authority to look at it without a specific request by the affected parties. The DP is calling for truth to be clarified on this matter and this topic Mm. will most certainly be raised again during the National Assembly's Intelligence Committee meeting that is slated for next week on the uh, the 16th. Okay. Um, one more bit of news. This is ahead of Seolan. It's very important, especially if you're going to be driving on the expressways. Mm-hmm. Highway toll gate workers have entered a strike. Right. So from 6 a.m. this morning, the Korea Expressway Corporation service workers who are responsible for physically collecting the mm. toll fees, they have gone on a general strike. Among others, they are calling for higher welfare and benefits, as well as higher wages, to match that received by similar-level workers of the parent company, Korea Expressway Corporation. So this means that those traveling to and from home during the Lunar New Year holiday will only have the option 
of paying these toll fees via HiPass, which roughly 86% of all vehicles in Korea currently use. Right. So it might not be a huge disruption. And to put it cynically, it might, might be the worst thing for this to happen for – you do want, of course, uh, harmonious relations with workers. But um, I, they also do try to make it more difficult for people to travel right now because of the <laughs> pandemic. And right. so, you know, they're not um, giving any exemptions on the tolls mm-hmm. during Salah. Yeah. And so this might be another thing that's going to put some people – Another incentive to yeah, stay home. <laughs> yeah, which uh, we hope everyone does. All right. We're going to leave it there. As always, Mi Sorang, thank you very much for the reporting. Appreciate it. And talk to you again soon. Thank you.